0: Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tussaud. And I'm Anne Friedman. It is tough for a woman to run for president, but finally we have like a. Like there was a woman on a presidential ticket and they won. And I was like, that counts for a lot for me.
1: Uh, the fact that we had interviewed Kamala on our show in 2018 was really giving, like really activating this superstition that if a politician comes on our podcast, they are not going to win their next election.
0: I am really excited about Kamala Harris as vice president. And I just, it, it is like hitting me in waves. So I am, um, I'm really excited that we're replaying this interview. Hello! Hi! Do you feel like we know more than we did last week? <laughs> I probably know less today than I did last week, so that's uh, that's where I'm at. I feel like that is just a summary of
1: life, where I keep thinking that like the longer I live, the wiser I'll be, or the more I'll know, and, and the inverse is in fact true. <laughs> that's just happening at a micro scale right now.
0: Right, it's like the older you get, the more... Um, you are like shocked at how little, you know, that is my experience. That is my experience of getting older. Yeah. I'm like, wow. Like way to expose like another decade of just like, like ignorance. Thank you.
1: I will tell you, speaking of micro milestones. So I spent a lot of last week uh, working on a puzzle when I was feeling anxious, like putting my phone in the other room and working on a puzzle. And even though I had not fully finished the puzzle as of like, Two nights ago, I was like, it's time to put this away. Like, that was my personal calling the election, was like packing
0: up the puzzle. (laughs) Yeah. My OCD will not allow for that. What?
1: Oh, you know, I also don't feel the need to finish books I don't like. I mean, I like the puzzle, but I was like, (gasps) this has served its purpose, and I don't feel the need to finish books or puzzles. I'm a wild woman.
0: Literally, you are you're catching me like at a good place in my um in my like game neuroses because I'm looking for specifically a puzzle table right now, but um, I'll do that on my own. Anytime.
1: <laughs> I really <laughs> I love how we are so deep in coping like mechanisms that we are only obliquely talking about the election results and instead are talking about our puzzles. What's
0: <laughs> an election? What are you talking about?
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> Saturday, as the news outlet started to call it that I would feel like a kind of dancing in the streets joy that I saw reflected many places. And in fact, I really just felt like deep exhale and like keep going. Like, I don't know. I didn't really feel this strong desire to market or to like be in a party mode. I don't know. It just didn't feel like that to me. It, um, And I, that is not a judgment on people who felt like they wanted to, pop champagne or whatever but I um, I was sort of surprised by my emotional response
0: oh I am um, definitely in Brooklyn there was a lot of like cheering and clapping and celebrating on the street which in a way was like very cathartic you know because I I was like I get it like we all need it but similar to you I feel like my exhale happened probably the next day where <laughs> um, it's when I started seeing all these other world leaders congratulate Joe Biden and Kamala Harris that it just there was something about it that was so normal. You know, I just like could not absorb how normal it felt. And then and then I watched this like um, like a couple of maybe it was yesterday, like a couple of days ago, the Angela Merkel Veterans Day address. And she, like, congratulates Joe Biden. And there it was just, like, such a lovely, like, three-minute speech. And I found myself, like, really just, like, misty-eyed. And I was like, wow, this is what it's like to go back to, like, some semblance of normal. It's so strange. And then I watched Joe Biden give his COVID, like, debrief. And it was so weird to see this like list of, you know, like an expert panel and there's not like a single relative on it. I was like, (laughs) what's going on here? You know, or he or he gives this like really coherent speech. And I was like, wait, there's no invocation of like some people say there's like this makes too much sense. And I think that that that's what is really breaking my brain where I was like, oh, I like have not had this in four years and I'm just like absorbing how normal it feels. And I, it just like is not computing all the right ways yet.
1: Right. To not have someone suggest that like you should bring light inside the body and then like scream and malign people for like several minutes. Like the fact that there
0: was maybe something substantive happening, like something kind of productive. It's weird to watch like a president give a speech, a president of the United States give a speech and not say the word tremendous like seven times. You know, that is <laughs> personally of like of many things that Donald Trump has ruined, like tremendous is one of them for me. Ugh, so many, so many
1: words. America, another ruined word by this president. Yeah. Like truly, I, I've been wondering, you know, how much of my reaction is thinking about the space I really tried to inhabit after 2016, which was sort sort of like the work would have been, he- the work is the work, like the big movement work is the work, no matter what, like, which I know we talk about all the time on this podcast. And I think that was in some ways a source of comfort to me in 2016. Like, okay, like it's gotten harder in the short term, but the goals are the same and we are just going to keep working. And I think that um, weirdly, like having drilled that mantra into myself, Um, I'm sort of having the inverse feeling right now, which is like, okay, like some things have gotten easier. You know, like the president now likes science or whatever. (laughs) Um, But there are also like, you know, really real deep ongoing things that this president and vice president and all the people that they hire or bring on board to work with are not going to fix like you know i think that the inverse of like we we have to keep working no matter what um even when circumstances have gotten better is something that really did kind of temper my joy i don't have any self-judgment about that i guess i would say i think that's just sort of like something that happened for me in like preparing myself for the results of the selection no matter what
0: yeah i man i hear that a lot you know but i i also have to say that um i didn't watch the um the speeches on the night of like that Saturday night, I watched them the next day and there was just something so remarkable about seeing like Kamala Harris be just be the vice president. I knew I would have an emotional reaction to it. I was just like really surprised at how strong it was. It's like one, the visual alone is like really, really, really incredibly powerful, but also it just reinforces so many other so many other things that we know about how gender and race like (laughs) work in politics. Right. We finally have a vice president who I'm like, you can 100% do the job of president. Yes. (laughs) There is just no, like that is not like a thing that I'm nervous about or anything like that. But even it's like just the accomplishment that it is, is I was really surprised at just how moved I was by that and seeing how her public image is always so consistent You know, and there is something about just being like, okay, like this is who you say you are and this is who you always are in public. There's something about that, too, that was just like very reassuring to me, you know. And at the same time, just like, you know, that it is tough for a woman to run for president. But finally, we have like a like there was a woman on a presidential ticket and they won. And I was like, that counts for a lot for me.
1: Oh, completely. It's like, you know, the there is like a self-perpetuating aspect to the two-party system that we live in where like being being vice president means you are going to be on the natu- national stage for the foreseeable future I mean and it's also not lost on me that like we basically live in a gerontocracy you know <laughs> like she is of an age Kamala is of an age where like I want her to continue to be like a fixture like on the national
0: stage and when Pian, every time she walks around in her sneakers I'm like when was the last time you just saw a president like bop up a set of stairs like this <laughs> <laughs> this is wild.
1: I know. I know, right? Like and and um it was almost hard for me to like believe it. I know that I know that this is a sentiment that um a lot of people expressed after Obama was elected, like particularly I um, you know, interviews with like elderly black people in the south, like you know, I remember that wave of like people being like I didn't think this would happen or you know, like that you know, yeah. everything you're saying, like this is like a huge and important moment and I I really realized how there was a part of me that like, I, I don't want to say like I let go of like the dream or whatever, but I had really told myself that um, the first woman to hold office in like the White House as president or vice president would be like a Republican. I had like told myself this story. Same. I, think, I think to comfort Same. myself. And so the fact that it is a woman who I have such deep respect for, even though we are not like fully aligned on all things policy, is just like, I think I am still absorbing that info, you know? And like, you know, you're right yeah. when you say that. Like, I also felt that joy watching her speech. I also feel that joy being like, my vice president is like you know, a mixed race woman of color who wear sneakers like yes like I really you know what I mean like I feel really amazing about like all of these facts on paper I think I'm just still absorbing the facts
0: I know I'm absorbing it. It's like also just like reading, you know, the news that Jill Biden, um, sorry, Dr. Jill Biden, she's always Dr. Jill in all of my group chats, that Dr. Jill is going to work. Like even that, you know, like for for someone as me who can get so cynical about politics and like the optics of things, I was like, okay, th- these are like real tangible things. You know, they are like real tangible progress things and just because it's not where i want society to be doesn't mean that it's not a big deal it is like absolutely a big deal i know we're
1: gonna have a second gentleman it's not it's not an off-brand bourbon it is like a real position that we are about to have
0: (laughs) i listen can i tell you how much i love our second gentleman though like everything about like i love the energy of like i'm here for my wife and she's the best yeah that is truly i was like i love this i love this so much and it's true it's like the the optics of it are super important and if melania was not like a also like an evil evil person her entire rant about how much she like fucking hates to do the christmas decorations (laughs) i would be so on board with her you know i was like in any other scenario i'm like actually yes bitch you are correct this is so dumb like you want to be doing other things like why do we not do this I have for years have told myself that when we got a second gentleman is when the office of the first lady would become like a paid, Mm. um, would become like a paid uh, job. I love everything that is going on. And I also am just trying to really divorce myself from the like the, the real like psychic trauma of the last four years, because it would be really unfortunate to not take stock of how really like lovely and amazing this is because we're all still just frustrated and traumatized by the last administration
1: uh, that really really resonates and I've been thinking a lot too about the way that resistance like as an idea and as a practice really defined the last four years and you know even at the outset I found myself wondering like how long can I personally just be against 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 like it doesn't it doesn't feel um Like, it doesn't feel like it is something that puts gas in my tank to, like, keep doing the work that I want to do, you know, to only Mm -hmm. be against stuff. And and I think that um, the absolute, like, shit tsunami coming from the Trump White House meant that, like, it wasn't really an option. Yes, we can have conversations about it's not just abolish the police. It's about creating this alternative vision. You know, I think about people like Mariam Kaba, like people we've talked to on the show who are good at sort of saying like, yes, we talk about this in oppositional terms. But in fact, what we're trying to do is like build something that is positive and proactive. Um, And I think Mm -hmm. that's something where resistance is a big motivator, like working against something is a big motivator. And I, I find myself thinking about what part of that resistance energy do I want to keep? And like, how do I be and stay just as motivated about like, affirmatively, um, working on the things that I want to happen?
0: Yeah, I'm gonna take that to heart.
1: (laughs) Um, so I have one other confession, which is that, um, I am generally not a superstitious person. Um, the way my superstition manifests is that I never get a cart in the thrift store before I have an armful of clothes because if I get the cart first, it means I won't
0: find anything. So that's like normally the only manifestation <laughs> of my
1: superstition.
0: I know a superstition that you've passed on to me and I have to say that it works. <laughs> like it's truly, it's one of my like three, like most held beliefs. <laughs> The other one that
1: has i don't know has really come to the fore for me in recent months is that you know we have obviously interviewed many incredible candidates and politicians on c y g um, to a one every single one of them has lost their race, like the the state level people, like you know Donna Edwards Stacey Abrams, like people who I am so excited about and who you know like later kind of maybe got some Like, you know, a great job or getting their due. Like, I love seeing Stacey Abrams getting her due for the work that she is doing from a position of like not an elected seat. However, uh, the fact that we had interviewed Kamala on our show in, um, 2018 was really giving like really activating this superstition that if a politician comes on our podcast, they are not going to win their next election because they are (laughs) too radical or like, you know, too great or too whatever, you know, for if they're good enough for us, they like America doesn't deserve them is sort of like the, the narrative that I had set up. And so I really feel like it is a breaking of this superstitious curse that I have had that Kamala Harris is our vice president because We talked to her um, two years ago.
0: The curse is broken. (laughs) (laughs) finally (laughs) maybe this is what we're going to keep doing is never having candidates on that we want to win we're like we're just letting we're letting we're letting nature run its course (laughs)
1: um no the curse is broken now we can interview people like we can interview whoever we want without worrying about tainting them like i can yeah
0: (laughs) you know that interview was fun too and well way to harken back to the olden days of we could be in a studio together with a guest Remember? Oh my God. And then after our interview, remember when we ran into Sonia from Sesame Street in the lobby, in the lobby. And Kamala Harris was just as big a fan as we were. So it was very exciting. I know.
1: Um, And I also, you know, one, one other thing that I like about bringing this interview back in in the context of now is that you know a lot of her fundamental beliefs about like how like this country should and could be governed about like what is actually eating at this country on a on a real values level i do feel very aligned with her but you know like she supports policies and has stuff in her record that i am very much not aligned with. And in this conversation, we were able to raise some of those things with her directly. And I think I am thinking about that as a model as well of being like, okay, like moving forward, if we have a a president and vice president who are at this basic level values aligned with me, um, how, how are I and we and all of us who share those basic values um, really kind of pushing on the details? And so that's the other thing that I love about, um, you know, calling back to this interview is thinking about it as, you know, for myself, like a minor model going forward.
0: Yeah, and I think it's also a good model for how I want to feel about politicians, you know, is very much, um, I, I respect you, I respect the work that you do, But there is no like standing or fan, you know, like fandom. And it really is about really like calling, um, calling attention to people in power and challenging the power that they have. And you're right. It feels really good to be like, okay, like here is someone that we respect. Here is someone who, you know, is values aligned with us. And how are we, how are we getting to the specifics of, like getting what is the most like equitable and fair for everyone and making sure that everyone's voice is heard so i am really excited about kamala harris as vice president and i just it it is like hitting me in waves so i am um i'm really excited that we're replaying this interview
1: yeah so we're gonna take a quick break and after the break listen to us in a non-cursed fashion chatting with our incoming vice president kamala harris
2: My name is Kamala Harris and I am a United States Senator from California. Woo! And there you go.
0: So does it <laughs> um, drive you crazy that people say your name wrong?
2: Yeah, it does sometimes. You know what I actually think? I'm sure there's a study that's been done for those of us who have names that are are frequently mispronounced. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there is something in character development about having to you know, having an experience over and over again of this do I correct that person or not? <laughs> right? And there are sometimes when I don't and sometimes when I do. And, um, and I think it's interesting how one's character might actually be influenced by having a lifelong experience with being in that situation where you're having potentially a very intimate conversation with someone who is continually
1: mispronouncing your name. Right. <laughs> or something that they might perceive as confrontational when you're really just like, these the are the facts. Point.
2: And that's the other point. And mm-hmm. especially as a woman, right? Mm-hmm. Because we have that example in so many things, right? Do we correct? Do Is it going to be interpreted as, as uh, you know, challenging someone as opposed to just, you know, kind of um, expecting that, that we will be honest and not have somebody assume that that's an attack. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. The reason why I asked if it ever gets old to say that, like, and I'm a United States senator, is you know, I mean, in the grand scheme of the Senate, you were relatively new to the job. Yes. Yeah. And eighteen months. Yeah. Yeah. And we're wondering maybe if you can talk about what at this point you consider your like your biggest win or the thing that when you're like, wow, when I look back at those eighteen months, this is the thing that like I want top of the resume. The, I'll tell you. Um one of the things that i think
2: for me is most important is the role that i serve on the various committees that i'm on um which are oversight committees like let's be clear those committees exist to 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 watch and question um what is going on with our government with the united states government so i'm on senate intelligence I'm on Homeland Security. I'm on Judiciary. And the accomplishment then for me is a function of what I think my role should be. And often, especially in the last 18 months, it has been to try and get at the truth. And so the accomplishment is and the goal is to always make sure that we are being and the system is being as transparent as possible. And that, you know, frankly, that the American public has the answers and that we're being told the truth. And when that happens, I feel a sense of accomplishment. And when it doesn't happen, I feel a sense of frustration.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, so how have you been feeling lately? (laughs) 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 Yeah,
2: it's so funny. You know, so there is this well. So, okay, so to get into the capital where we vote, you there, you get off the train, and there's this well. A couple of yards away is the escalator to go up to the Capitol. In that well mm-hmm. is a swarm or whatever the word is, gaggle, or whatever the <laughs> word is for a lot of press people. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're there with cameras and notepads and recorders. And so, you know, you you go through that well and they constantly ask questions. So, almost every day. And a friend of mine said calmly, you know, I watch you in these interviews and you just keep using some version of the word troubled. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm troubled. It's troubling. It wasn't a troubling moment. It was trouble, trouble, trouble. And and he said to me, why don't you just tell them what you tell me? It's a hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> why don't you, though? Yeah. I have started to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, or some version of that, which is also, you know, troubled.
0: And troubling. I'm so glad that you brought that up because the worst things about me is how much cable TV news I watch every day. Yeah, I'm you tra- got to slow that news. down a little. You know, yeah. uh, I'm two weeks sober. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It's only because I'm in town, but but it's <laughs> true. Like Anna's sleeping where my television is. So I <laughs> don't have access mm-hmm. to it. But you know, there is really something for like for those of us who are home and are just like the mess is very hot. Things are and things are bad, like objectively, like things are very, very, very bad. It's like when when I think about the family separation issues. Yeah. And just the onslaught of news that we're having to sit at home and hear like our all of our elected representatives go up there and say, I'm troubled. This is disappointing is it it is almost maddening for us at home yeah. because we're like are you like i'm like i am calling my friends and i'm screaming and i am right. angry and it is an onslaught mm-hmm. it's like there's too much there's too much incoming so i understand that you know making that triage is hard but i do wonder if that's something that you think about in your job because we're calling the offices constantly we're yeah. do, we're doing all the things that we're supposed to be doing and we we're looking for adults in the room yeah. in some regards And to hear our elected representatives just have these tepid feelings about things is something that, um, you know, that's troubling to me. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's right.
2: So here's the thing. Part of what um, I would say is that I I see things that they're not necessarily depicted every day on cable news, Mm -hmm. but are things that also give me a great deal of excitement and optimism and hope. I see thousands of dreamers since the beginning of last year who have descended on the United States Capitol. They are traveling by, by car, by train, by bus. God knows how they're affording. You know, I'm sure they're sleeping to that point 10 deep on somebody's living room floor who have been traveling to the United States Capitol because they truly believe if they walk those halls and are able to tell their stories and be seen, that it will matter. They believe in our democracy. I have seen the same with the thousands of parkland kids which is which now is not only the kids from Florida but from Chicago and Compton and all over the country descending activating um to to make sure that they are heard and and to make our democracy actually do its thing which is to let all voices be heard the number of parents with children many of whom were, were severely disabled who You know, went through incredible effort to travel to go to the United States Capitol around the fight on the Affordable Care Act. And so I have seen really beautiful moments that represent who I believe we really and truly are as a country, which is a country of people, one, that will stand up and fight for the best of who we are. And who are activated and are not dispirited and are optimistic because, you know, after all, if you're going to be in a fight, you have to be optimistic that you can win. And so there is a version of the fight that is also about optimism. Um, and, I, and I am optimistic. I do believe that we are facing challenges like we have never seen before. We are seeing some of the worst of behavior. I do see and know that it is clear that we have powerful voices that are trying to sow hate and division among us. But I see also people who have been activated and turned on and they are not gonna turn off. They're gonna stay involved. And and that's gonna be what ends up prevailing. I do believe it. It's gonna take some time, but I believe that.
1: Are you are you even an optimist when it comes—like, when I think about the things that I feel most despairing about, it's stuff like, are you optimistic about blocking Kavanaugh? Like, that's one of those things where I'm like, it feels like postcarding into the void.
2: <laughs> yeah, but you know what? Go back to the fight on the Affordable Care Act. From the very beginning, first of all, seven years under the Obama administration— there were those who tried to obstruct and stop it at every step of the way because it was his administration that was pushing it, even though it was one of the most significant um, public policy initiatives that we'd seen since Social Security. You know, it's not without its its flaws, but it was pivotal in terms of making sure that, that many more people would have access to health care. Women would not have to deal with preexisting conditions as being the barrier to getting insurance and getting coverage. And so they tried, they tried, they failed. It, it passed. And then this administration came in and made it their number one priority. And for almost nine months, made it their number one priority. And what happened? People took to the streets. They also made the point that so many of these issues are not even bipartisan, they're nonpartisan, like health care. <laughs> right? Yeah, only Democrats right. want health care. Right, okay. right, exactly, right? That's and what, and what ended up happening? From the very beginning, everyone said, there's no way. When we don't control the House, we don't control the Senate, we don't cl- control the White House. There's no way we can win this, and we won. You know, we have to remember the victories in order to to also recognize that 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 this is this is doable, but it's not going to be
0: without effort. So remembering you- the victories, I'm like that they seem so few and far <laughs> between sometimes. Yeah, you know, but you know, and, and some of the defeats are huge. It's like I I still remember when Gorsuch got. Um, you know, like, he flew through his mm. nomination, it seemed like. Troubling. It's very troubling. <laughs> Deeply troubling. Troublem- and, yeah. and thinking the arc, you know, like, the arc of that nomination, like, starting with Merrick Garland, you know, and mm-hmm. how, right. in, in my imagination, I was like, actually, that was when we should have taken to the street. I'm optimistic about a lot of things. I'm not optimistic about them maybe in my lifetime. But it does feel to me that a lot of times we also do not learn from the mistakes that we have made as progressive and from a lot of the inertia that we've had. And so I wonder if that's something that you think about when you are making your, in the strategies and the work that you are doing.
2: Yeah, so I want to just say another thing about optimism so that, you know, I don't think that our optimism is about denial, Our optimism is we are very clear-eyed with what's not working, right? And we know we are better than this. And that is optimism as far as I'm concerned. We know we're better than this. And so we need to fight for that and for who we are. Um, Optimism. Born out of the reality of knowing that the vast majority of us are so much more in common than what separates us, in spite of these forces that are trying to sow hate and division. I reject that. People say we're divided. I, I, I'm not going to buy into that, because I know that for the vast majority of us, when we wake up in the middle of the night with that thing that has been weighing on us, that worry, right, the 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, waking up in a cold sweat, when we are waking up with that thought, it is never through the lens of the party with which we're registered to vote. It is never through the lens of some demographic upholster put us in. And for the vast majority of us, that thought has to do with one of just a very few things, our personal health, the health of our parents or our children. Can I get a job, keep a job, pay the bills by the end of the month, retire with dignity, pay off our student loans? The vast majority of us have so much more in common than what separates us. And some people would say that is an optimistic thought. I think it is. But it is also the truth. And so we're just going to have to, I think that... We, To your point about being fatigued, we've got to be in this for the long haul. And in order for this to be a sustainable movement, we have to understand that we are fighting for something and not against something. So it's about perspective, but with eyes clear, clear eyes and and open eyes and being honest and speaking truths. So truths, right? Let's speak truths. If Charlottesville didn't make it clear, you know, if it wasn't clear before, Charlottesville makes it clear. Racism is real in this country. Sexism is real in this country. Homophobia is real in this country. Anti-Semitism is real in this country. Let's speak those truths so we can deal with it. Let's speak truth. Sexual harassment in the workplace is real in this country. Let's speak truth. We are a nation of immigrants. And so to, you, to suggest that, that we are going to have border security by ripping babies from their mothers is ridiculous. And you know, antithetical to who we are. Let's speak these truths, right? Um, and this is part of this fight: speaking truths, even if they make people uncomfortable. But doing it with the optimism of knowing that when we speak truth, we will, we will, we will create trust in a way that doesn't exist right now. And trust is a step toward a much healthier environment.
1: I definitely agree with all of that. Mm -hmm. And I think that where I get hung up is, I think that things that are no-brainer, you know, positives for the kinds of -of middle-of-the-night concerns that you described are, in fact, when you take them, put them in the form of legislation, take them to Capitol Hill, are, in fact, like, very controversial or deeply partisan. And um, I'm wondering where you are feeling, like some strategic momentum yeah. to take that a step further policy-wise. I've got, I've got a
2: couple of examples. One is on the issue of the cash bail system in the United States. So I have long been an advocate for what we need to do to reform the criminal justice system. I was a district elected district attorney of San Francisco. I was the attorney general of California. We need to reform the criminal justice system in this country. There are huge inequities based on race, often based on gender, and certainly based on income. So cash bail. Basically, we have a system in this country that once you've been charged with a crime, while you're waiting to go to trial for the facts to be presented, um, if you have money, you can pay bail and you get out waiting to go to trial for what could be weeks, months, even years. If you don't have money, you don't get out. That's not fair. That's basically saying if you are a poor person, you will, you know, that you're going to sit in jail. And if you're a rich person, you're going to get out. And that's not about justice being blind, right? So it's completely and obviously unfair. It's not only a criminal justice issue, it's an economic justice issue. So I created a bill a year ago, presented it, um, saying let's reform the system and get rid of the cash bail system by replacing it with a risk assessment system. You know who my co-sponsor is?
0: Rand
1: Paul. Rand Paul. We read that op-ed. We read that
0: <laughs> op-ed. Right. And so let me tell you. And
2: so we did the op-ed in the New York Times, right? Op-ed drops. And I think, okay, well, Rand Paul's constituency um, is very different than my constituency. And I wonder how Rand Paul is doing now that this, his constituency knows. And I was like, you know, I need to call up the old boy and see how he's doing, <laughs> right? And I got in touch with him. I said, hey, Rand, you good? You know, your people are good. How you doing? And you know what he said to me? He said, Kamala, Appalachia loves this. Because, again, we have much more in common than what separates us. His constituents know that this is an unfair system, that this is an economic justice issue. So that's one example. Another example, I've got a bill that is basically saying, one, that we have an affordable housing crisis in this country, and for people who are renting... It is, you know, we have rising cost for housing and stagnant wages. And the fact is that in America today, in 99% of the counties in America, if you are a minimum wage worker working 40 hours a week, in 99% of the counties in America today, you cannot afford a one-bedroom apartment that's at market rate. Whoa. So my bill... Is saying if your rent plus utilities is more than 30% of your income, you get a tax credit. Mm. That's a red-blue issue. That is an issue that crosses every demographic. And I expect that there's going to be bipartisan support for that. So these are the kinds of examples where we reject the notion That we are divided because on some of the most fundamental issues, we have much more in common than what separates us. The guy who is waking up in you name your red state and all of the stereotypes that come with that demographic, who's waking up in the middle of the night, that guy, and the woman who's waking up in you name your blue state and whatever that stereotype is of that demographic, when they wake up in the middle of the night, they're having the same thought.
1: So I'm curious about then, like, go back to the, the um, bail reform bill, for example. Yeah. Rand loves it. Rand's people love it. Yeah. Um, like, what's the prognosis throughout the rest of the Senate?
2: We're going to have to keep pushing it, yeah. and,
1: and we're looking to get bipartisan
2: support from Republicans and Democrats, and we're actively working on that. And I expect that if they're, if, if folks are going to really look at what their constituents want— um, instead of looking at it through a lens that's about partisan obstructionism, mm-hmm. we're going to get good a good level of support for it for something that is so basically and obviously a flaw in our system, and that is a flaw that is targeted against working people, against poor people, and um, and the equities just don't enforce the need to ha- continue to have a cash bail system in this country, mm-hmm. and that's why I'm leading on that.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, Rand Paul.
1: (laughs) I know. Did (laughs) not expect to talk so much about him today. I'm going to ask one more policy type question. But this one is hard because, you know, when we think about the positions you've taken publicly and your record, we're like, yes, 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 yes pounding yes. that like button. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, um, and, you know, in a recent example of something where we did not understand your position uh-huh. um, was your vote on SESTA and FOSTA, the legislation that shut down online sex work platforms, including Backpage. And much of the public conversation was about Sex trafficking and your statement was like, I don't like sex trafficking. Definitely one hundred. And you also expressed yeah, like, some.
0: It's a uh, like a First Amendment issue, which
1: you acknowledged. Like, um, but I think for us, we we saw that as largely a labor issue, and you know, and tell me what you mean by a labor issue. Well, basically, that it was a platform for sex workers to safely do their jobs or with more control. Um, and what I think we were reading and hearing from people in that profession is that this was going to make their lives more difficult and more, and more dangerous. dangerous yeah. And I'm curious if that, some of that feedback has reached you and if so, how, um, how you've responded.
2: Well, first of all, I've spent a large part of my career, in fact the majority of my career, working on issues that are uh, crimes against women and children. And a vast majority of those as it relates to sexual assault um, and domestic violence and, and human trafficking. So that, that's, just, that's been a part of my life's work, and I'm very, very familiar with the issues. And I have personally sat down with I can't tell you how many victims of those kinds of crimes. And the issue with Backpage, I actually have history with Backpage. I have been advocating for years that Backpage needs to shut down, mm. and they wouldn't because they were incredibly arrogant. And they had a business model that was about in particular and this was the 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 reason that i that i called for them to shut down they were trafficking off of selling children minors so yeah i want them to shut down and i'm glad they had to and i'm glad those guys are being prosecuted and i'm never going to defend their conduct never now the idea of protecting se- sex workers is absolutely something i care about as well absolutely and I can tell you countless cases where I have sat down with also sex workers who have been the, res- the, the, the victims of crime and survivors of crime because they were not protected, because we relegated them to some, you know, kind of moral classification that, that suggested they're not, that they're not worthy of or deserving of protection and dignity. And I reject those kinds of policies as well. But on that particular issue, that was as much as anything for me an issue about protecting vulnerable people and looking at, in the case of your back page, folks who were profiting off of the exploitation
1: of girls and boys. So that feedback in terms of you know the perspective of sex workers, and you know basically the labor issue <laughs> as we see it. Like, yeah, no, it and that's legitimate. You. But that's yeah. a
2: legitimate. That is a legitimate issue, and it's been around for a while. And I support that. I support the need for those women, and 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 there are men also who are sex workers, and the need that they rightly have for protection and um and support and dignity as workers who are voluntarily and and not being the subject of any kind of coercion or trafficking. I totally protect the right that they have to have safety in that in their workplace. Yeah.
0: I want to talk about something a little different. So you are the daughter of two immigrants. You grew up in Oakland. You go to Howard. You rise through the ranks of the, the Democratic Party. What do you think that it means, particularly after the last election, that one of the main takeaways is that, in order to, like, get back to the center, people are supposed to dial back their identity. Because that's the thing that we, obviously, we talk a lot about here, and you can already see me roll my eyes. Even just saying that dial back your identity is something that I truly do not understand. So I'm curious, like, how you navigate that.
2: Well, I reject it.
0: Um, and I agree with you. I reject it. And
2: when we're talking about identity, you know, it's, it's, they, it's a pejorative identity mm-hmm. politics really is. Mm-hmm. Um, it is an attempt by some to marginalize certain issues. But let's be clear, back to the point about the cash bail system or the issue of rent. It equally impacts poor people. <laughs> 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 and then yeah, so then let's look at the fact, you know, certainly then then let's also talk about the fact that when you look, for example, at um, at at incomes and you compare a woman and, and and then a woman of color and an african american woman or a latina to a white man we have huge disparities in this country we need to deal with that you call that identity politics i would say that's an american issue <laughs> <laughs> that's not any one identity issue that it, it, it's our identity it's our issue as an, as identifying as americans that's an issue mm-hmm. that's a problem um, so I reject that notion. I think it is, a, it is an attempt to marginalize conversations that are about the inequities based on gender and based on race. And if we're ever going to deal with these realities, we have to dispense with notions that it, it is a, a, an issue that is only of concern to someone of a specific background. It should be a concern to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll put this in another context that is not often discussed the hacking by the Russians of the United States election. So, okay, Kamala, show us the math on that. That was a big leap. <laughs> I know, I was doing the okay. Julia Roberts math. Okay, so, no, let, me show, so <laughs> let me show you the connection. It is a matter of public report- reporting and it is public conversation. First of all, it is a fact, in, despite those who would challenge it, Russia interfered with the election of the president of the United States of America. It is a fact unanimous finding by the intelligence community of the United States. So what is also a non-disputed fact is that the intention was to create a, a disharmony in the American public around our democracy, to create distrust in our democracy as a way to cripple us so that we can no longer be the power. That we otherwise were perceived to be. Okay? So it, is, it, it was a, an intentional attempt to make us weak, to sow distrust among Americans. So what is also known is that then, that, so that was the goal. What was the method? How do you do that? Well, they tried out a number of different things. But the thing that caught fire was the issue of race.
0: I wonder why. <laughs> this is,
2: but no, but no, no, no. But see, the, the point is, oh, I want you to think about the issue of race as being unaddressed, the racial disharmony, the racial inequities, as being unaddressed. And so we think about it in the context of what is fair and what is, and what, what justice will look like. But think about it also in the context of national security. Mm-hmm. That an adversary figured out that one of the biggest vulnerabilities in the United States of America is it's still undealt with issue of race. And so on the basis of that knowledge, that that was our vulnerability, not the variety of other things that could be perceived to be our vulnerability, that was our vulnerability. They attacked us based on that.
0: That's, like, think that through. I mean, I'm I'm thinking it through, but it... uh. I know that. That doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me in the sense where uh, people who are not American like see that very clearly. That race is a oh, huge. Yeah. No. It's a huge liability. Um, it is a serious blind spot. The way that I would I would return that question to you is then like, what is our government going to do about that? But but before
2: we get to answer that question, because that mm. is the question, I would ask you: You are aware of that. Do you think that the vast majority of Americans are aware of that?
0: No, I do not believe that the vast majority of Americans are aware of that.
2: Right. And that's the issue also, right? There is a huge hole in our game in terms of Americans understanding that that is a vulnerability on the issue of national security. And so even if you don't Do you think that your colleagues understand that? I think some do and I think some don't and that scares me. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think not enough, enough of them do know it in a way that they're prepared to do something about it, which is let's eliminate our vulnerability. We Let's deal with consequence and accountability in terms of what Russia did, but let's also deal with the prevention piece of it, right? As a, I have always said in terms of my perspective on criminal justice, you know, the the, the failure of criminal justice policy in this country is that we have been reactive, Instead of understanding, prevention is actually more effective at creating safe communities. You know, so deal with things like education, deal with things like access to job training, deal with poverty and and those things that actually cause people to get in a cycle that may result in a threat to public safety, right? Let's deal with prevention instead of reaction. Well, so on that theory, right, it's the public health theory. Public health model taught us well. You want to deal with an epidemic, crime or health, smartest, most effective and cheapest way to deal with is prevention first. If you're dealing with the emergency room or the prison system, too late and too expensive. Prevention. So on that point, national security, Russia, hacking, vulnerability, race. So if we want to erase the vulnerability, we need to deal with the issue of race in this country. And at least take that off the table as part of our vulnerability that allows us to be attacked
1: in such a crude and obvious way. Oh. So well, I, I have so many other questions to ask you, but I just like, I, I want to come back to that point of how does that translate to policy? Like essentially the tools at our and at your disposal, this is a thing that trips a lot of people up. It's like, okay, even if you can agree, as all of us in this room do, that this is a Core vulnerability and like core the the root of so many problems in in America. Like what what on a policy level will well, address you, that? You meaning, start to,
2: you start with not saying there are good people on both sides of Charlottesville. <laughs> Listen, let's start there. <laughs> Let, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. there's some places to start, <laughs> and it you know, and then it is about dealing with issues like disparities and acknowledging them. You can't deal with a problem if, you're even, if you fail to acknowledge it, its existence. And that gets back to what prompted this discussion, this label of identity politics. That's a way of trying to shut people up on the issue of race or gender. That is an attempt to shut people up. And so my point is I'm not shutting up. <laughs> and so you can use whatever names you want to put on it, but I know what that is an attempt to do. It's an attempt to take that off the table for discussion. And it's attempt to take it off the table to, first of all, acknowledge that it exists.
0: Mm-hmm. Speaking of shutting up, I think that <laughs> one of the core moments, like reaction moments that a lot of people who listen to us that we've all seen was the way that some of your colleagues treated you when you were asking, you know, you were doing your job. You were doing your committee job by... Um, by questioning witnesses and they tried to really like minimize your your voice and your role in that. I wonder like if you could speak to, especially, you know, we, we have like a younger kind of audience mm-hmm. that listens to you and that's an issue that never goes away. It's like men telling you to shut up even though, uh, you know, I want to jump into the TV because I'm like, are you kidding? We send our best champion all the time. You people, like, you people, meaning the men. (laughs) I'm like, some of you send your bozos to Congress a lot of time. So to me, the visual of, like, the only black female senator, like, that is not lost on me. It's 2018, Mm -hmm. and there is one black woman. And I'm the only the second in the the history of the United States. Thank you, California, sending sending good women to, to the Senate. But, you know, it is... That visual is not lost on me. Yeah. And then watching, um, you know, and you are—I'm like you are also. Uh, I'm like these people might not know, but I'm like she's a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> this is what she does. Right? There are a few other people here. Like, what? Are, how do you deal with that? Like, do you go back in private and it's like, don't ever do that to me again? Like, what is yeah. the? No, I. Like, I, I, how, what is the way that you navigate those office politics? Because you so, still work in. So an office. I have
2: two. I have two points there. One is, um, in terms of the my personal experience. Mm-hmm. My role, as I perceive it to be, is to get to the truth. And I am acutely aware that there are those who do not want us to speak the truth or know the truth. Mm -hmm. So that experience for me was not about somebody trying to shut me up. It was about trying to shut down the truth. Mm -hmm. So that was how I experienced it. And frankly, you know, having been a courtroom lawyer, um, it was part of actually my everyday experience that people would object. I mean, you this is what happens, actually, objection. And then, yeah. so, it's literal. literal. Literally, <laughs> like literally. So it's actually something that I'm really used to. And then you just keep going. But the second point I'll make is this, which is the bigger point that you're, you're raising. For so many of us, we are throughout our careers and our lifetimes, have been and will be the only one us, like us in that room. And it will be in that boardroom or that meeting room or that courtroom. And we will be, for many of us, the only one like us based on our gender, based on our race, based on our life experience. And the thing I always try to remind everyone is this. You remember when you are in that room and it feels like you're the only one like you there. All of us are in that room with you. You come from people. You are not alone. And we're all in that room with you. Like, it's really important to remember that. Don't ever let people make you feel small. Don't let me make people have you think that you're the only one like you. You know, that's why sometimes I really I have a real kind of reaction to people say, oh, you know, you're you know, don't like don't buy it when people tell you you're unique because there is something about that that is also saying to you that you know you're a unicorn mm. that there's nobody you else like exceptional you to because where you but are. but but not only that you have to be exceptional there's another nuance there which is also saying to you you're the only one like you and mm-hmm. that's another way of saying you're alone yeah no you come with people you come from people who are going to always be in that room with you and that's part of so when you're having that experience it's something really important to remember so that you hopefully will be able to endure the experience in a way that is chin up, shoulders back, knowing you're not the only one like you. And you're speaking for all the people who can't be in that room. And you've got people. And we've got your back.
0: You've got people. I like that. I
1: love that. Okay. There are things we kind of ask everyone who is on the show.
0: Okay. Right. Um, Will you tell us about your besties? We know that you yeah. brought a friend today. Uh-huh. So... So, maybe you might want to talk about them and how you met them.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, I have my one of my closest friends was my best friend in kindergarten, and we are still very close. Another one of my best friends fixed me up on a blind date with my husband, and um, I often refer to her as being my chosen sister. So, I have my sister that my mother gave me, and my sister who I love. To her core, uh, my sister, sister, and then I have my chosen sister. I my have sister who gave you your mister, I, and then I have my <laughs> sister. That's
1: so good.
2: That's so good. Um, and you know, I mean, we were talking about offline. I mean, there is something that is very special about the relationships that you have with your girlfriends. That is, um, it's about a chosen relationship. It's about a lifelong relationship and a commitment to that in many ways. Uh, They're very special relationships. And, I mean, I know that I have not been able to accomplish what I've
1: accomplished so far without my besties. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. I do, too.
1: Okay, so we're big readers. We talk a lot about books Uh on the podcast. And we're wondering if there's a book that you have repeatedly given as a gift or that you're always recommending. Because, you know, it doesn't have to be like your favorite. It's something you— there's
2: so many. I mean, one of the books is a book I wrote, Smart on Crime.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that yes. was a shameless plug <laughs> you know, in my We're here for that. We're Smart here for time. that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um,
2: you know, there's so many. There's um you know a book that actually I just recently referred to a couple of people um, that I'm reading, Americana, that is oh, yeah. really just mm. so fantastic. It's Depends on what I'm reading and just kind of sharing what I'm reading at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What's your favorite snack?
2: My favorite snack is classic nacho Doritos.
1: Wow. We What's got a tip about this.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. Yes, <laughs> honestly. Oh, this is so, and you don't have to take the train later <laughs> today. They gave me a big old family-sized bag of Doritos. This is so
1: fantastic. This is Thank also you. a top favorite snack of mine. and no. I now feel a kinship really? with you. Right? No. Listen, it's, it's chemically it's engineered perfect. It's
2: literally some of the best food, and you just cannot eat one.
0: Yeah. So you two are the same when it comes to snacks. <laughs> like I was, I heard it and I was like, "Oh yeah, this is an and situation." Uh-huh, this is why we got it. you
1: the family size because oh I always the, want the like, family. Like literally,
0: size. I have to get on the train <laughs> and figure <laughs> out lunch later. This is great. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Um, thank you so thank much you for guys. joining thank us you. today. Was, yeah. Thank so, you for
2: doing what you do. This is a, it's such an important. I mean, what you guys are doing is it's that's exactly what is about besties and about, you know, you can be accomplished and you can achieve success and the outside world can applaud you for all of that. But if, you know, to achieve real kind of sense of, of being full and complete, your relationships with your girlfriends are so important. And it's, you know, I I mentor a lot of people and I always tell them, you know, in addition to all of the stuff I will advise about what you do in terms of your professional careers, surround yourself with people who love you and will root you on and encourage you and challenge you and be honest with you and not, you know, not sell you a bunch of, you know, BS. But, <laughs> you can you know, say shit on our podcast. Yeah, you know, bullshit, right? And, <laughs> yeah. uh, but who will, you know, it's really important. Thank you for highlighting that and acknowledging it in in this, this podcast and what you do. It's good stuff. Keep doing it.
0: Look at that! Here's to um, four years of normal. Um, as soon as uh, you know, one half of the our elected officials decide that this presidency is legitimate. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. Pack up the anxiety puzzles
1: and like, let's get to work. I really feel. I really feel good. Um,
0: I really feel good. I swear. I swear, oh I, swear I do.
1: I'm just going to keep saying it till it feels true. <laughs>
0: I feel good. You know, when I was looking on the transition website and like reading about big ideas that like the, the Biden Harris, like uh, ticket has, they want to forgive the first $50,000 worth of student debt that people have. Mm-hmm. And I was like, great. I love it. Like do it. And at the same time I was like, can you forgive all of the mental health bills that we've had to pay for the last four <laughs> years? Because that is the stimulus that I need. Um, I was like, great. We're going to go from three a week to like one a week. Love to hear it. Oh, It is, I, you know, I, I just, I really hope that we have some way as a, like, as a nation to take stock of what the last four years have done to us because... I am exhausted. We need truth and reconciliation, was, like, immediately. I was
1: just about to say who who is going to be on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. i Desmond like,
0: Tutu, come <laughs> save us. <laughs> like, he I'm like needs to come I here need, and figure
1: it out. I need Lindsey Graham, like, testifying to his crimes. Like, I really I need... I know. I need Evil Javanka. Turtle, Mitch like, McConnell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I,
0: do, I need truth and reconciliation. Like, I will not rest until we get it, so... Archbishop Desmond Tutu, please come save us. <laughs> <laughs> he's my ver- He's my version of like La.
1: <laughs> oh my god. Desmond Desmond Tutu fix my life. Like, yeah. Oh my <laughs> fix god. Fix my country. Desmond Tutu,
0: Desmond Tutu fix my country, please. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my god. Okay, Future I episode. I love you very
0: much. <laughs> I
1: love oh. you too. I'll see you
0: on the internet. you can find us many places on the internet callyourgirlfriend.com apple podcast spotify stitcher we're on all your favorite platforms subscribe rate review you know the drill you can call us back you can leave a voicemail at 714-681-2943 that's 714-681-CYGF you can email us callyrgf at gmail.com our theme song is by Robin original music composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs we're on Instagram and Twitter at callyrgf our producer is Jordan Bailey and this podcast is produced by Gina Delvac